I'm Sam Bankman-Fried. I am panicked about all the things I wish I were able to fit into my day and can't. can't just point at me and I'm like a lapdog for you. <laughs> Hi, this is Howard and Knut and I are in a spat. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking you God. might be, I'm not. Whew. There this needs to be an intervention. off with friends. There's some intervention. Thank God Nikita's on. here. We're like an old married First couple. I caught you plotting my demise <laughs> with Nikita and now I did you point and, and touch things on my side well, of the table. We had lunch today. We came up with a lot of good ideas. Yeah, well let's, let me just tell you, I look sick but I'm pretty healthy. <laughs> I'm not Roger Ehrenberg healthy, but uh, I'm healthy. That was a reference to his son, live audience in the room. Ethan's in from Michigan. And who else? Harrison Powers. Austin Powers is here, too. <laughs> that is your nickname, I imagine. Yeah, it works. It's not the first guy to say it. So uh, it, joining me today is Knut, always my producer, for now, as we like to say. <laughs> he hasn't had cards made. It's been 150 episodes, still no cards. And Nikita, visiting from Vancouver, who's now a fixture. The uh, So Nikita. Yes. How's Phoenix? Phoenix is great. And I'm loving this masculine energy in this tiny room yeah, that we're sitting four in. Dudes, <laughs> four dudes that haven't showered. Well, you guys probably. They're going to the Suns game. Cool. Suns Lakers, where LeBron will just carry the ball. He carries it over his shoulder. He doesn't even tr attempt to dribble anymore. <laughs> That's what the NBA's become. He's shot-putting at this point. He thinks it's a decathlon, LeBron James. Anyways, do we have a guest? I believe we do. First of all, we have an amazing guest. Yes. He's 29? Yes. He lives in Hong Kong. It's fantastic hair, which is a problem for me always. <laughs> I generally get nervous when people with good hair come on. He, uh, I have a lot of questions for him. He is the founder of uh, Alameda and FTX. And I, I'll tell a story about FTX after Nikita, who's fascinated by both the person and the companies that Sam runs. He has kind of become the Pied Piper of crypto. That's a terrible description, but he has a huge community of fans around the world. And when you think about crypto in the United States, some people think Coinbase and, and Bitcoin and Howard Lindzen. And fraud. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and raccoons. No, when you think about Bitcoin on a global scale, I think Sam and FTX are now in the conversation. And after this correction or crash, whatever we're going to call it, and we'll talk about it quickly, um, you know, people look to Sam. For sure. And well, so what, what have you, what fascinates you? And what, let's give a background so Sam doesn't have to waste his time doing it. For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so fascinating that he's 29 and what he's accomplished. Like, I'm almost we can't prove he's 20. He does look 29, but we're not going to ask true. for his driver's license. OK, fine. Do I look 29? You have said you're 29 for four <laughs> years, by the way. So 33. Damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, 29. So what do we got on Sam? Well, okay, so it's such a fascinating story that uh, he's an MIT grad and uh, he worked uh, on the international ETF desk as a trader at Jane Street Capital. And after that, there's an interesting story that I read on the internet about him, that he was inspired by this kimchi premium in the crypto market, uh, where he found that uh, there was a 30% arbitrage between the Korean and the American Bitcoin prices. 
Because, you know, most 26-year-olds look for things like that. <laughs> exactly, right? right? In Michigan, in between beers. Yeah. Okay, you, so he found the kimchi premium. Yeah, you go from like, oh my God, I really like kimchi to like, of course, there must be an arbitrage in the Bitcoin prices. Hmm. So, but he figured out, he couldn't crack, crack the Korean market because of restrictions around like converting the Korean currency to American USD. And so he figured out that uh, there, the same arbitrage also exists in the Japanese market, and but it was at a 10%, you know, the yen to the USD. And he put on that trade? And he put on that trade. And huh. that's where Alameda came into the picture. And at one point, I think they were doing up to $25 million in a day. And it, today, if you go on BitMEX, which uh, Alameda rank, ranks number 10 on BitMEX's leaderboard of all time, most profitable crypto traders. Wow. Yeah. You know, when my son was that age, <coughs> he told me he ran out of stuff to watch on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Oh. So there's a little difference. Kids around the world are a little different. Yeah. But he comes from real good stock. His parents were both professors, I think. Yeah. I mean, I just don't want him to get into all this stuff. I want to talk about stuff. Yeah. Like geeky stuff that I've been taking questions all day from people. So what else do we know? Well, yes, you're right that uh, his parents are both law professor at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, he's also been inspired by their utilitarian thinking and also partly why he became a vegan. I liked him until that part. Well, it's interesting. Just when I hear the word vegan, I think of steak 44 and I'm going for a steak. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I'm a steak guy. Green scare me. So, all right, let's get, uh, let's dial Sam. Sounds good. And it's Hong Kong, so collect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Welcome. How is Hong Kong? How long have you been there? Why Hong Kong? And I love Hong Kong. And tell me how different it is in the last year. Yeah. You know, I've been here for a couple of years. I, I got here sort of about five months before, you know, shit hit the basket ever in the world all at once. And it was, I mean, you know, uh, before everyone was just sort of socially distancing all, all across all jurisdictions, it was, you know, a really lively place and a really great place to, you know, I, I think our business is super international. We have, we have people from all over the place as users. And in terms of, you know, a big international city, um, you know, especially a place where, uh, you know, as sort of a, a company trying, you know, run by, by, you know, a bunch of Westerners looking to, to be able to interface with Asian and Chinese users. I think it was, um, it was a pretty, pretty good stepping stone. And you have a big audience in Australia too. So, I mean, you're just close. It's kind of like the center of the world, of the other world or the most of the world. Yeah, no, it, it definitely feels like that a bit. And well, I mean, it felt like that. Now Zoom is the center of the world and everything is just sort of an island. You know, if you're more than three doors down from someone, uh, that's Zoom territory, I guess, you know, this year. And so Zoom is your product of choice, not Google Meets? Oh, no, I, I like Google Meets, but everyone uses Zoom. So, I mean, that's where I go to. All right. So, so let's talk about Alameda. What does it mean anything specific? Uh, the, the name, so Alameda, um, Al Alameda is the county that I was in, um, in, in the Bay Area when, uh, when I started up. Um, but really where it came from actually was, um, I, you know, this sense of, it was late 2017 and I, you know, we were starting a crypto trading firm and, and banks were not very crypto friendly then. No one was. I mean, it was sort of a, a well, I'll sort of a lot of retail traders were, but institutions were not. And um, you know, what that meant was that 
I, you know, if your sort of company name was like, uh, you know, Alameda, we trade cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, we do international stuff, it's a bunch of 25 year old uh, LLC, um, you're not going to have a good time getting bank accounts. Um, but, but everyone likes research. Something I like to do, because I keep a Wells Fargo account with $9, and I like to go in once a month and ask for it to be exchanged into Bitcoin. And <laughs> it just always, uh, they always try and do something for me with $9 in my account. So I feel those are the little things. This is probably why I'm not as wealthy as you, but I feel that it keeps me sane. What do you do to keep sane? Because it sounds like you don't sleep. People want to know if you sleep. I don't sleep, but it's not by choice. I struggle with sleep. What is it about <laughs> uh, you that uh, you don't sleep? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've always been a bit of an insomniac and, and kept pretty weird schedules. But, um, you know, crypto has really put that to the test. It, it's, you know, it's not just that we have sort of an international business, but the markets themselves are 24-7, uh, which is unlike most markets in the world. And I mean, there's something powerful about it, but it, it's also brutal. If it's the industry you're in, it means there's no downtime. There's no, you know, okay, well, these 12 hours a day, nothing big could happen. Um, you know, 24 seven, if, uh, if, if anything goes wrong, we have to be there. And so, you know, we're always around. And, um, and then the other thing is just, you know, I have colleagues and I have, uh, counterparties all across the world. And so, you know, that means Western hours, Eastern hours and everything in between. And, you know, just sort of like look at my calendar, you know, identify the little, you know, sort of spots where there's a bit of a break and, uh, you know, do what I can there. But, um, you know, I guess for rest, I don't know, I'm, I'm shuffling cards in the background right now. I, I sort of go a little stir crazy if I don't have something to fiddle with. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just find little things to, to keep my mind uh, from from wandering and consuming itself too much. And do you have to take like I take Ambien? Do you take anything or you just pass out when you pass out? I used to. So I used to take sleeping pills every night uh, before sleeping trazodone. And I mean, before that, it, it was brutal. I had like 50% sleep efficiency or something. And I was just always kind of low energy and tired. And it was really sort of life-changing. You know, the truth is now I'm busy enough and, um, you know, there's enough going on that I, I, I sleep quite a bit better now than I did three years ago. Um, but prior to getting into crypto, I, I was a sleeping pill guy. Did you always have your hair this long? You know, I think over time it's gotten longer and obviously it gets shorter sometimes too, you know, and then it gets longer for a little while. But, um, you know, I didn't used to, to let it grow out this much. I think I did just accidentally once. Um, and, you know, not, not with any particular thing in mind, I just kind of accidentally failed to cut it for a good solid year. Um, and I, I don't know, it sort of became a bit of a pattern. So would you consider getting a man bun? Oh, I, I have. Uh, there, there have been times when I've uh, resorted to whatever it took to keep my hair out of my eyes. There you go. What is your preferred way to relax? Is it music, movies? Is there like a thing that Sam does? Yeah, I, so I do a little bit of everything. I mean, I'll, I'll go on walks and listen to music. Um, it's not exactly relaxing. Like it lets my mind wander, but sometimes my mind wandering is not relaxing. Sometimes that's you know, more emotional than, than, than work is. Um, and, uh, really what I, I, I do when, when I just want to chill out, actually, I'll, I'll usually play League of Legends. Um, and it's one of these things that's sort of just engaging enough that my mind doesn't really have room left to wander and to stress out too much about anything. Um, and, and so it's sort of engaging enough to captivate me without being, you know, particularly emotional. And does FTX mean anything? Alameda, now I know. Does FTX stand for anything particular? I couldn't oh, find it, anything. 
It does, although, you know, I don't think we've really publicized it. Oh, okay. uh, it, it stands for uh, Futures Exchange. I figured um, it was something is, simple it, like that. Yeah, no, I mean, it basically just came out. That was sort of like after 30 minutes, the working title, that which it, we didn't love that much. And, and then sort of two months went by, and it came time that, that we really needed a name, and no one came up with something better. So, you know, so be it. And that domain wasn't available, so you had to go buy it from somebody. Yeah, that that that's right. And you know, there's actually a little bit of a debate when we were starting up about whether it was worth I think it was like two hundred thousand dollars or something. And, oh, totally you know, worth it. Oh yeah, I mean in retrospect all yeah. it was an amazing like it would have been crazy not to have. Um but you know, at the time we did have to have and we hadn't quite launched yet and we did have to have a discussion about this about like what impact does this have on the business and um, you know, I think sort of intuitions pointed to it being worth it and all the calculations we did made it seem like it was just massively worth it. But we, we had to get to the point where we were just comfortable, um, you know, comfortable just spending a, a bunch of money on, on something speculative, frankly. And that was just one piece of it. And, you know, the notion of, you know, a business running at a loss was not really a thing which, like, which felt natural, I think, to any of us. And, I mean, frankly, FTX is only running at a loss for about six months before, oh. uh, you know, the, the fees overtook the, uh, the expenses. But, um, but it definitely took a little bit of a, of a shift of frame of mind. What do you miss most about the U.S.? Um, oh boy, it's just so much. Um, I, That's I a mean, good answer. You know, look, what, like, what, give me a couple examples. Yeah, well, I mean, what's something? And the food in Hong Kong's here? great, but but I mean, right? Yeah, the food the food is not the problem here. I mean, it's you know they've got they've got everything, and um, I mean, I think really the friends is the answer. Like, you know, I, I made a uh, I don't know if I made a lot of friends over the years, but I, you know, I, I made at least one or two, and I you know, left a lot of that behind when I moved out to Hong Kong. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be, you know, working in an office with a lot of people I really like. And it's not like I don't have anyone to hang out with here. But, uh, but you know, I, I do definitely think that a lot of my network is just sort of in the States. And, and you know, yeah, technically, you can still talk to them online, but it, it's, it, and it's not the same. And Tinder or Bumble? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh I, I mean, I haven't neither. heard of that app. I, oh boy, that's breaking news. No, <laughs> no, I, oh no, I definitely <laughs> haven't. Definitely decided neither of them. I mean, maybe okay. Nikita, you know. same thing. Same thing. Nikita's twenty nine. We can't prove it, but she's lovely. So uh, I've become a matchmaker. The uh, and what about you? How do your parents feel? Are they both alive? I hope they they are. They're doing really well. And where? How do they feel about you being? And when was the last time you saw your parents? Oh, it's been like a year and a half. It's it's been a while. I mean, it, you know, I used to, to travel around a fair bit, but um, uh, but you know, now now we're in the COVID ages, and you know, flickering between countries means weeks of quarantine, and um, uh, and so I've just been been holed out here for the last year or so, and uh, uh, you know, I still talk to them a, a few times a week on the phone, but I uh, you know, and they're doing well, and um, you know, I mean, it's been a. a a lonely year for a lot of people, but a busy year. And, and, you know, they've got, uh, they've got a lot going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly think they, they, they wish I was closer by, but they're, they're pretty understanding. What's the best thing about Hong Kong for a guy your age? Uh, it's just like, I mean, it's really compact is one thing I will say. So, you know, if you sort of take everything you want in a big city and then put it all in like, you know, a five square mile chunk of land, that, that's sort of what you have with, with, with Hong Kong. And, and, and so, you know, I, love it. The, the, I, I mean, obviously I don't yeah. know it post, you know, 
the switch yeah. in power, let's say, but whatever we're going to call it. But uh, I just, I mean, no one does for sure. Right. You, you know, it's, it's, it's new, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's a great place. And it's, you know, there's sort of, you know, district next to district, next to district, all packed in with everything, everything you could want in a big city. And um, a ton of energy, really lively, really multicultural. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a place that, that almost everyone I, I know who's moved here has ended up liking more than they thought they would. So, so now let's get into it. How many people now at FTX? About 100. And then Alameda? You know, 15 or 20. And offices in U.S., Hong Kong. Yep. And then small offices in a bunch of other places. We're spinning a bunch up. And, you know, as we grow out, I mean, one sort of interesting thing about FTX is that it's really not geographically concentrated in terms of user base. Um, You know, no jurisdiction is more than like 10% of the volume of revenue. And so because of that, um, you know, to really reach all of our users, I mean, they're just in like basically every country. And that means we have to be reaching out in basically every country. And so the more places that we can have, that we can have local footholds, the better. And the first time you heard about Bitcoin, were you interested or skeptical? Or do you remember who got you interested? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first time I heard about it is something I'm definitely kicking myself for. I was in college, like 2012 or 2013. Um, and was actually talking with um, with Gary, who would later join me as a you know co-founder of Alameda and, and FTX, and um, you know he was saying that he had just built up uh, so it, some, some some someone I don't remember who donated one Bitcoin to everyone at MIT, huh. which at the time it was you know it's like Cheap ten thousand dollars or something <laughs> that total that they spent. Right, I know. Um, and I you know I, mean, I certainly never bothered claiming mine. <laughs> um, oh, of course. But uh, Gary had built up an arbitrage bot for the, the crypto exchanges that existed at the time. And, you know, talked to me about it. And, you know, it, it sounded kind of cool. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, is that something we should, like, look into more? It's like, ah, nah, it's, it's small. Like, I, you know, I'm sort of stopping to spend time on it because it's just like, you know, I'm already like 10% of the volume globally. It's making like, you know, $38 a day or something. And and and, and that that's just like tiny asset class, not worth spending much time on. And and, you know, I think neither of us thought about Bitcoin again for the next, you know, four years. Wow. And so what happened then? I, you know, I was leaving Jane Street. I'd been there for about three and a half years. Um, it's a really great place. And, you know, was, I think in, in a bit of an outlier sense. Um, but I was really itching to start my own thing. And I had sort of sat down and, and basically, you know, done a bunch of back the envelope calculations and, and sort of come to the conclusion that, like, really all of the biggest upside had to be in, in trying a bunch of things out and starting some stuff. So I, 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 I was leaving not sure I was going to do, um, but this is late 2017. Crypto is going crazy. Everyone was talking about it. And I just like had this, this, this like really strong instinct that it was probably a really profitable thing to trade. Um, it just checked all of the boxes, like huge volatility, huge retail interest, really new industry grew up really quickly. Um, split between a lot of different venues across the world. Um, and on top of all of that, just like no financial institutions had get, started to get involved yet. And so there, there weren't going to be many liquidity providers. The infrastructure was going to be kind of shitty. And it just had like all the sort of like, you know, the heuristics you'd be looking for of a space where the liquidity demanded was really going to be outstripping the liquidity supplied. Amazing. Because the first time I heard about it was Cena, who I guess was at Robinhood. 
And how did yep. you find Cena? I, you know, I think he was leaving Robin Hood and um, looking at where to to go next. And I actually don't know how he how he, he stumbled across us. I should ask him. I'm guessing he he knew someone who knew someone who knew us. Um, but you know, he called up um to talk about working here. And I, you know, we were really building out the U.S. business. And uh, and he was sort of a really obvious uh, a really obvious hire for us. Yeah, so the, I'm not a crypto guy. I mean, I was investor in eToro and obviously Robinhood, but not because of crypto. I remember when Yoni told me at 2010, I said, just take my money and leave me alone about crypto. Uh, that was 2010 <laughs> or 11. Have you met Yoni? I, I think I've run into him at a conference here or there, but I've never really talked with him. Yeah, so, so that was my first encounter, and then I got into it when Fred got into it. But um, Cena called me. I didn't know he was running crypto at Robin. And he goes, hey, I'm an FTX. So it's the first time I heard those letters. And, <laughs> uh, and I don't know, maybe a year, six months ago, seven months ago. And I'm not into crypto per se. Like I, I have some for sure. And, but I had given my crypto money to Vinny and, and Multicoin Capital. And so, you know, I got lucky that way because I forget my password for my iPhone, let alone <laughs> <laughs> like my BitCloud is lost. Everything I've tried, I've lost. So, and I take solace in the fact that if, if I had done what Yoni had said, I probably would have lost it all at Mount Gox, right? <laughs> Whatever year that was. And that might've made me feel worse than not doing it at all. So he mentioned it, you know, cause his idea was, well, you have Robinhood shares, you know, FTX wants to figure out how to, you know, make a market in that. And I was of course intrigued, but you know, just wasn't interested. So that's only like six months ago. The company is like only three years old, four years old. Uh, and FTX is, is just over two years old. Two years old. So. And so the growth is astronomical. When did you know? Is there a moment you just looked? And obviously your focus was on profitability and the name of the company, blah, blah, blah. It's just startup stuff. But when did you know that it was something? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And I think there are sort of a few discrete points. One of them, you know, we were just starting up FTX. It, it had been live for about a week. I mean, I had, you know, $50,000 a day of volume trading on it or, or something like that. It, it, you know, nothing. And, and, and when we started it up, I mean, our prior was it was probably going to fail. We felt pretty good that we could build a better product than the existing ones, but I had no fucking clue how to get customers. I'd never tried to do that with any business before. And I just didn't even know where to start. You know, none of us really did. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where it wasn't, didn't just seem like a challenge. It seemed like, like a challenge where we didn't know step one. And so our, our guess was we were never going to figure out step one. And in fact, we had some internal, uh, you know, markets on this. And I think it's, you know, we we're guessing like 15, 20% chance that we ever got anyone really. And, you know, 80% chance it just fizzled out. Um, and, you know, we, we, we were just starting to start up and we were doing a, a raise for FTT for the exchange token for it. And the first sort of like three days of it was a real grind and sort of like, you know, got a few people like, oh, yeah, well, if you like pay me $10 million, I'll buy $3 million of your token. We're sort of like, that doesn't seem like a good deal. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we're sort of like, yeah, OK, this is what, what we should have expected. Um, and then, you know, on day four, we had a call with someone. And it's sort of like a half hour call and, you know, they sort of email back like 30 minutes later and they're like, uh, I want to lead. How much can I get? Mm. And it was like, that's not what we we're expecting. Um, and then like when the next 24 hours, we got oversubscribed for the entire round. Is this an FTX or an FTT? 
this is an FTT. And this is just for the exchange token for it. And and again, like we didn't know that many people in crypto and, and the exchange had been live for a week. It, it didn't have many products on it yet. And, and I think like that day after we got, I mean, first of all, it just felt like, oh shit, like we must've sold too low. Like we, we fucked something up there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but also I think it sort of hit us like, wow, like at least eight people in the world think that this exchange might be a success. We'll probably get at least three customers out of that. And, and, and we sort of felt like, wow, that's going to double our customer base. And, um, and I mean, really at the time, like three customers felt like something to us, you know, that felt like, wow, some of them trade real volume that might get us a million dollars a day of volume. Um, and I mean, obviously that in and of itself, like whatever, but all of a sudden we started to see this glimmer of like, oh, wow. Like we were not even trying to get customers, you know, we're just sort of flailing around with this. And all of a sudden we're starting to get little wins. Um, and, you know, get some people who think we have promise. And, and that was sort of the thing that we had been most skeptical of, that we would ever get anyone else excited about it. And, and so as soon as that started happening, I think there's sort of this, this, this moment where at least I sort of felt like, oh, wow, like, you know, I was, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe it'll just sort of happen. Like maybe we'll be able to get hundreds, thousands of users even somehow just by doing stuff, you know, like, like maybe even if we don't have a plan or a clue or doing going into this, we'll be able to figure it out. And, and I think that was sort of like the first, the point where, you know, my expectations went from like, I was on the, the, the more bullish end, but I, you know, went from like 35% chance of ever having success up to like 60%. Um, and, and so I think that that is maybe one jump and, you know, we did sort of grow over that first year. And then I think sort of the second thing, uh, the second moment when it, it started to come together um, was like early 2020, we had decently strong growth and we got a few institutional clients to trade huge volume to onboard the platform. Um, and we started looking at numbers internally and looking at our growth relative to a lot of other exchanges. And, and you know, it's different now, but back then, there's only one person where anyone was ever compared to in derivatives in crypto. Everyone knew exactly what the, the obvious comparison was and it was BitMEX. That was the, the ruler that everyone was judged by. And I sort of looked at it and like, oh, wow, we're now at, you know, whatever, 10, 15% of their volume. It wasn't a ton, but, but it all of a sudden it just sort of seemed like, wow, we're actually growing on them. And all of a sudden we just got another 5% of their volume overnight. And, and it just sort of had this, this realization of like, we're actually getting users from them. And I kind of think maybe we can keep going. Like, you know, we've been growing quickly. I, I guess that's going to keep going. And there's sort of more and more demographics that we could get. And, you know, maybe we can actually compete with them. Um, and so I think the second thing, and then the third thing, I think, um, was, you know, maybe mid-2020 when, you know, we were still growing so high and caught up to the biggest players. But um, we sort of grew enough. We're now at like half a BitMEX volume or something. And, and, and you know, it sort of just felt like, I actually think I know what's going to happen here. Like, I actually think this, like, it's not just that it could happen, like, I think this is going to happen. I think we're going to keep growing and I think we're going to overtake a lot of the biggest players in the next year. And it hadn't happened yet, but all of a sudden it just seemed sort of inevitable that it would. And um, I think that was sort of like a third moment and it did happen, you know, six months or so later. But by the time it happened, I think we'd been expecting it. That's amazing. Was the idea of Blockfolio to speed all that along because they had just had brand awareness? Yeah, especially in, you know, if you look at FTX, like a lot of our growth has been in, amongst like really core, highly engaged users in crypto. 
Um, because A, they're the people who really care about the products. And we've always like, that's been our, our, our strongest point always has been the product. Um, but, but B, um, they're the people who will try out a lot of new exchanges as they come on. And so, you know, we were founded way after the other exchanges. They had lots of users before we existed. Um, and so the people who we got early were the people who were bothering to try us out. And so both of those pointed to highly engaged people in crypto. Uh, but there's a huge market out there for the lower engagement audience, for the retail audience, um, you know, the, the financial institutions of people who do make up, you know, a substantial chunk collectively of crypto volume, especially revenue, um, but who aren't nearly as easy to reach. And, and I think the biggest thing that we saw in Blockfolio was, you know, 6 million users, a number of whom were people who would be harder for us to, to get to otherwise. And, you know, we sort of felt like, look, we don't need to, uh, to charm them here, but you know, we think we build good products and we think that if we can get them to give it a chance, we're pretty optimistic about how that'll turn out. And if it doesn't work out for us, that's our fuck up. And, and we, have, we have to go fix our, 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 our products. But, um, but it, it gave us a chance to get our products in front of millions of users who otherwise we didn't have, it was going to be a while before we found ways to reach out to a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, as someone who plays Corp Dev on Twitter, so not in real life. The it's so easy to be corp dev, and I talk to other founders all the time, and I see them buying ads and doing YouTube ads, and I'm just repulsed by it. I mean, I know it works; otherwise, people wouldn't do it. But there's something more elegant and swashbuckling about doing corp dev and taking that type of risk, especially early in your life cycle. And it wasn't like some small number. Um, was that the first corp dev deal, Blockfolio? It was. It was, or at least just our first significant one, and. And, you know, I do think that it was a little bit of a transition for us from like, you know, just sort of thinking about our own space to really trying to think about what we could become and, and thinking about really expanding in as many directions as we could. And I think we, we have a few more things that look sort of like that, you know, on the stack coming out, you know, hopefully over the next few months, which we're pretty excited about. I won't ask you. Nikita, <laughs> Nikita's smiling. I'm like, what are you smiling about, Nikita? Knut has no look on his face as usual. So that's what it looks like here. Knut, are you awake? You're looking for your password Don't still? Don't wake me up. Right I got now? great sleep he, going on here. He doesn't know your password, Knut. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, well, I'm no. smiling because I'm happy to report that FTX is the one that popped my crypto cherry. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did that happen? Waited till she was 29. <laughs> well, it was late and she had three glasses of wine. I know, and, and I was in Canada. And you had short hair at the time, Sam. <laughs> no? That's not how it went. Probably not. The But I am amazed. I mean, obviously Zuckerberg did it. WhatsApp and Instagram, right? And I think you got to be bold. But it's easy for me to say that on Twitter, right? Like stock twits is profitable now, but like, you know, when I was running it, it's, you know, it wasn't a brokerage, you know, my whole idea of stock twits at the time was like, why isn't Twitter just a brokerage, right? Why isn't the ticker tradable? You got Andreessen, Sam's there right now. Like everybody who's smart in corp dev in the fucking world is using Twitter or some derivative of it in Asia, let's call it, uh, um, WeChat. Does that ever cross your mind? Like looking at Twitter because you love Twitter. Like what? Like I yeah. talked to Discord, for example, Sam, and I'm like pitching them ideas, and and this is why I love Cena. Like I, I pitch Cena ideas all the time because he's like, tell me more, whether you do them or not. Yep. Like I can't. And and Discord, which is kicking ass, like has one corp dev person. I'm not giving away any secrets. They're a small team, and like they're doing aqua hires. And this company could be yeah. taking over the world. 
I know there's risk to it, but I just find something interesting versus playing it safe and doing aqua hires and doing oh. ads and marketing versus taking chance. Like you got the naming of the student of the, like, that's the shit that I'd want to do. I'm 55. So I'm just worried about where I pee next <laughs> and you're naming stadiums. I'm plotting out where, when I walk by a bathroom, I mark it geolocation-wise in my head. <laughs> so I may be back there within 30 seconds, right? Whereas you're like marking stadiums in Blockfolio. So who kind of you think influenced you in that model? Or is it just you? Like who came into the room and said, guys, we're not doing ads. Let's do something like that. Yeah, I, it's a good question. And we've tried ads. And they've always been, I, I don't know, maybe I've always come away feeling like, I don't know, maybe that was good. You know, it seems about break even, maybe, and, and, you know, if it's better, great, you know, we'll, we'll do them. But I think the big thing is when, when I sort of think about this, um, I always start by just trying to put myself in the position of a consumer. And, you know, I imagine myself, re, you know, looking at one of our ads and sort of think, how would I feel seeing that? And, and often I, I sort of look at these ads and I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, that's not going to make me use FTX. You know, I mean, maybe if it's like, if I was like really on the fence already, I'd be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll create an account. But I mean, it's it sort of, you know, really making marginal improvements. And, um, and, and I just sort of spent a bunch of time sitting back and thinking like, what would actually make a splash here? What could we do that, you know, if I hadn't thought about FTX before, you know, if I saw it, I'd be like, oh man, maybe I'll actually check it out. You know, we still Google it and see what it is. And I kind of came away feeling like, there were some things that did that. And I think stadium naming rights are one of those. Like I actually just know the names of like, you know, most professional American stadiums. Um, and I know the companies that sponsor them. And, you know, if, if I'm watching game at some stadium and I don't know what the company that sponsored it does, I'll Google them, you know? And, and so it sort of felt like, boy, like that actually like really, that does sort of like capture my attention. They say it constantly. If you watch these broadcasts, um, and the other thing is just kind of cool, right? Like, you know, if I see someone buy advertisement time somewhere, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. They have money to spend on advertising. I, I don't know. It's like there's something to sort of jump off the page a little bit more. And so I think that was a big piece of this, which is thinking about what would actually really motivate me to try out a, a product or to think about a company. Um, and, and I think in general, like, you know, as we started to think bigger, I, I think I try and be a little bit unconstrained originally in my thinking yeah and, it'll probably know, get I, harder I, but i could like yeah. i just say to young founders that's what i want to ask you it's like hey man we're all taking this vc money and we're all going down this path and really facebook wouldn't yep. be facebook unless the guy bet the company twice i don't know if he was yeah. a poker player or who taught him that or who was in the room and if it was andreessen or peter Thiel. a lot of smart people around the table but fucking hey facebook I, doesn't buy instagram or WhatsApp. I totally agree. And that's sort of the stories you hear from everyone who is close to them. But there's a lot of great companies, Salesforce, did it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think that in general, sometimes they don't work out. And obviously, you want to do a good job and not a bad job. And you want it to be great and not, not lame. But, you know, they lead to big wins. Sometimes. Especially if your core product, like, so yeah, no matter how many times yeah. someone dropped FTX on me and it was seen and I didn't care at the beginning, because like, I already have my Robinhood, Coinbase, Toro, wherever, lost money, or the ones in my head, my 12 word exactly. keychain. So unless FTX was good, it wouldn't matter anyway. So, so the point is, yeah. you can't buy your way out of a jam. 
Facebook's right. product, we can hate it. The core product was good. Yeah. Uh, I don't use it, but I mean, it was good. People mm-hmm. loved it internationally, wherever, you know. And But if they don't make those moves, we yeah. wouldn't be talking about Facebook. And now their they're move into whatever the Oculus is starting to make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and as you said, you know, it can't cover for everything. Like, if no, no. one ever wants to use your product, you're fucked. But unless you happen to already have all of them as, as users. But, you know, if you can start from a position of, like, if only we could get to people, you know, we do think that we have something powerful. Um, then, you know, if you, there are ways to get to people. And, and sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes you need to do things that everyone will, will say seems like, why the fuck are you spending energy or, or money on that? Um, but, you know, fuck it. Sometimes it works if, if you do the right ones. And I think, you know, when we thought about sort of the cost of these things, you know, the cost of a, a stadium naming deal, on the one hand, you know, there's sort of sticker shock in some cases where I think a lot of people thought that and they're like, that's an enormous amount of money to waste. Like, why the fuck did you do that? Um, but, you know, you take a step back, you look at the scale of the business. And it's like, you know, we could do 30 of them if we wanted to. I mean, we won't. But, you, you know, like, it's not. But Miami is a um, good one because it's international. It's yeah. you know, the location's great. And I was in Miami and it was like, whoa, American. And it hit me. And I'm like, that's smart. Were you thinking Miami mainly because it's international? So you got people from LATAM and you got everybody coming there? There are a few things that combine. It's a big city. It's a well-known city. It's an international city. It's been really tech progressive and crypto progressive as well recently, which matters. You know, like, you know, the mayor was really excited for us to do this. And and, and that matters to us. You know, it means that partnerships are just going to be a lot easier and a lot more fruitful. Um, and, you know, it has a good team and a well-known team and their naming rights were available this year. And I think, you know, you take the cross-section of those and, you know, it was right towards the top of the list. Um, you know, the amount of attention that we've gotten from that is just huge. Um, you know, we've gotten more attention from that than from lots of other things that we've done combined. Right. And if the product's good, as long as you hear the name a million times, when they land on your product, if it's good, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's exactly right. And I think another core part of this is like, you know, one thing I've thought about is like, why isn't everyone doing stadium naming rights deals? And I think part of this is like, you know, you have to have a good product, but I think it's more than that. Um, you know, if you're like, I don't know, you know, razor company or something like that, or I mean, take Staples, like right? Staples is, is, you know, Staples Center is like, Maybe the most, you know, high profile Good point. Staples. Uh, and sports stadium, did, you know. But no one's gone to a staple store. Amazon really did kill them. That was a waste of money. It, yeah. it, it really did. And Even like, though wow, you do enough. know it is Staples Center, you don't go to Staples. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. They got an amazing amount of attention, but like no one goes in there as like, I'm going to buy some fucking printer paper when this is done. You <laughs> know? Now that you mentioned I, I do need uh, printer paper, can you mark that down? <laughs> go to Amazon, I not mean, Staples. You go to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. right. Actually, go to Office um, Depot. Fuck Staples. So I practice all the time because when you drive by my house, it says Howie Town. My neighbors don't like me, but I'm just branding. I own my fucking house. I got it all over the house. Howie Town. So um, now let's get to some things that bother me um, because I can't understand them no matter how many times they've been explained. So seeing that you're smart, what does a stable coin mean? So tell me for a dummy why they matter and because Fred's explained it to me on his blog and yada yada and why can't what should, what's the trigger why is it important yeah so you know it's a cross between a dollar and a bitcoin sort of and what it is this is an asset that you move on the blockchain but that is basically a dollar um and so mechanically what it is is it's a token that is backed by a dollar in a bank account and you can go wire ten dollars to that bank account and they'll send you ten stable coins on the blockchain 
or you can send them back 10 stable coins and they'll send you back $10. And so it's fungible one-to-one with the US dollar, which means that it really is worth a dollar. Um, but unlike a dollar bill, which is physical or a dollar in your bank account, which is Fedwire or whatever, um, this is blockchain. And so, you know, the question is like, why would you use that? And I think the answer is, well, let's say that you want to, to pay someone something, right? You know, you want to pay someone for, for dinner, you know, maybe you want to pay him $15. You could try and figure out how many Bitcoins that is, or, you know, how much Ethereum or, or whatever. But the natural thing to think about is just like, how many dollars is that, right? That, that's sort of like what the economy runs on. Um, and you don't have to worry about volatility. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's actually a huge pain in the ass to send an actual dollar. And to give some context on that, um, you know, if we're trying to invest in a company, you know, sometimes we have no choice but to send a wire transfer for, you know, because they need the records for something. But if not, you know, we'll say like, hey, do you want us to wire you some money? They're like, no, send, send me some fucking stable coins. They're like, obviously, yeah. And the reason is if we want to send them a million dollars of stable coins, like three clicks, you know, we just go to our wallet, type in their address and send them so a million. You and understand this because you you're Norway. Like, even I understand this. Yeah. <laughs> Americans' right. minds like, are blown because I live here. I'm like, wait a minute, U.S. dollar, Venmo, like we, our stable coin is U.S. dollar. Right. Exactly. And the thing is that like in some contexts, you don't need stable coins. If Correct. both people have Venmo and the payment is like under $100. Correct. Then that's fine. Now, if you want to send someone a million dollars, you cannot Venmo them. A million dollars. I love dollars, telling my caddies you. I won't Venmo them to give me their stable coin <laughs> Uniswap address. And by the way, I'm going to Wells Fargo tomorrow and say, I'll take my $9 in Tether. <laughs> To see what oh, they yeah. do. I just want to see if someone poops yeah. their pants when I say that. I just want someone to, like in a cartoon, steam comes out of their You head. will I'm be tethered after it. that. <laughs> so what's the best brand? Like, I, Obviously, people, I hear bitching all day about Tether. And it kind of makes sense to me that people are pissed because it doesn't really have the backing, theoretically. Does that scare you? It's a good question. And this is one of the most interesting parts of crypto. And I think it's a really good litmus test also. If you want to know what someone's relationship to crypto is, Ask them what they think of Tether, and it will tell you a lot. Um, and well, I don't know what it is. So, what does that tell you right. about me? So, uh, well, uh, hello, you know, hello, me, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it tells me you, you don't pay. You know, you don't spend that much time in it, but also that you're probably a little bit less reflective um, than some people are. I think some people, despite knowing very little about it, have very strong feelings. Oh well, that's um, which is, well, yeah, sure. But you know, even in real life, like. A year or two ago, I think it was a, two years ago, I was at a conference and I, I talked about Tether and I got fucking booed for saying <laughs> I didn't think it was a complete fraud. Like there was nasty responses from the audience and people, people are, are, are really, really uh, emotional about this. So, Wait till you have kids. You, know, you just get booed all the time. Hey, I'm home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they booed you because? Because I said it, it was not that bad and they were, they were not having it. Um, but you know, basically what's going on there. So it's a stable coin and the, you know, like most stable coins, you know, you can wire money to a bank account and they'll send you back stable coins or you can send the stable coins in and they'll wire you back some money. But it's had a lot of uncertainty clouding it over the years. Um, a lot of claims that the dollars aren't really there or maybe they are, but it's sort of sketchy or maybe they're frozen and maybe they won't give them to you or, you know, there's been a lot of doubt um, from a lot of people about whether it really is, in fact, backed by dollars. Um, and, you know, it, it has a long and complicated regulatory history. It's had a, a really uneasy relationship with the United States and, you know, was in a legal, protracted legal battle with the New York Attorney General for a while. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have U.S. banking. Um, you know, it currently uses a Bahamian bank. And 
Um, and, and all this sort of adds to the fear a lot of people have around it. And one interesting thing you'll notice, by the way, is if you go to China and you ask people, hey, if, if you're in the States, you ask them what stable coins should I use? You know, they'll probably say USDC, right? And like, why? They're like, I don't know. I, I know it and it just works, you know, and it's definitely backed. It's there in an audited bank account. And, you know, it's like you, you can redeem it and like 30 seconds later, they'll, 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 they'll wire you your money. Like, you know, it, it's sort of like, the fastest growing U.S. stablecoin, and um, got it. And it's like um, Facebook. You know, oh, don't use it. And meanwhile, Tether's right. the fastest growing stablecoin. Right. And so then you go to China and you ask, well, hey, what stablecoin should I use? And they'll say Tether. And it's sort of interesting, you know. They'll, and you'll be like, oh, it's actually you haven't heard of USDC. And they're like, no, I've heard of it, but I think you should use Tether. Um, and I think a lot of people in America are pretty confused by that. Um, they sort of feel like, why would I use the sketchy one and not the safe one? That that seems wrong. Um, but it, it's not that they, they don't know USCC. Um, what's going on is really a few things. And it's super interesting. One piece of this is that Tether is super liquid in secondary markets. So while there's a lot more doubt about its primary market fungibility, if you go on a crypto exchange and you want to figure out where you can get liquidity for your Bitcoin, it's Isn't against Tether. Isn't that all Tether. that matters then in the end? Well, it's a lot of it. Well, I mean, both matter, right? Like two ways you can get out of, tether, uh, of a stable coin, you can redeem it or you can buy crypto with it. And, you know, if you're buying crypto, you can get it off more efficiently on, on exchanges if it's tether than other things. And so, you know, especially in China, there's a ton of tether-based trading and no one has USD markets or all tether markets um, because USD banking is a pain. And so, you know, one piece is that it just has secondary market liquidity. But the other thing that you hear some people say, which is super interesting is, you know, they'll say, wait, so you're telling me just to get this clear that on the one hand, you have Tether and some people say it's totally fine. And other people say there's a, a 10% chance it's a fraud um, or that maybe it's 10% not backed or something like that. And it's in a sort of sketchy offshore Bahamian bank and no one really knows what's going on there and stuff like that. And on the other hand, you're telling me there's USDC, which everyone 100% agrees, 100% if it is in a highly regulated US bank, highly audited um, that's terrifying. Absolutely, I'll use Tether. That's way safer. You know, 5 to 10% chance of, you know, losing my money in, in what's supposed to look like a bank. That's the base rate. Like, that's what I'm used to. And the last thing I want is more governments with the ability to freeze it. That's the reason I, I'm sort of going into stablecoins in the first place. Yeah. No, really good answer. And so, in, you know, just like in places where there isn't trust of banking, like, you know, the fact that it's, it's like harder to figure out what's going on with this bank account is actually a plus not a minus. Um, and anyway, all of that, you know, long story short, what's actually going on here, because we have spent a ton of time digging into this um, and, you know, know the people involved. It's one of these cases where there's, there's a lot more smoke than fire. There's a lot of smoke around it. There's been a lot of animosity with some regulators, but, you know, fundamentally, like uh, why, you know, I'm pretty sure it's, it's backed. And, and why is that? Well, we sent a shit ton of dollars into a bank account to mint these and we've redeemed them out for a shit ton of dollars. And we know the bank, we know the bankers, we know the company. And, you know, we've actually interacted with this firsthand. And it's not as seamless of a process, not as cheap of a process as USDC is. And I think that, like, if you're comfortable with U.S. banking, I think USDC is the cleanest way to do it. Um, but we, we can say quite confidently that there are lots of dollars going into that other bank account. Is DeFi as exciting to you as it is to the lunatics? On Twitter, who say that I'm supposed to know? Is there something there? I think there is a lot of potential there. That doesn't mean we've reached that potential. And I think the things that we've built so far are hints of what it could be, but not themselves anywhere near ready for prime time. 
Is it possible that trading is the ultimate only thing that crypto is and everybody's looking for something that it shouldn't be? Or do you, are you, I mean, obviously that matters to you, but what, yeah. what is exciting about crypto and decentralization to you? It would be sad, but it's possible that's where we'll end up. Like, it, you know, I don't feel totally confident we're going to escape that. Um, but I think we could. And I think that if you look at what DeFi could be, right, not necessarily just what it is today, you could have 20% of the world's economy uh, running on DeFi. You could have 100 companies in the S&P 500 be natively built on the blockchain and most payments happen through it. And there are some things that will never make sense. There are things that are very latency sensitive, very throughput sensitive, or very physically oriented, like you know, loaves of bread are never really going to make sense as blockchain native assets. Um, but for a lot of other things, for social media, for low frequency trading, um, you know, for some borrowed lending, um, and, and, and a bunch of other things, they absolutely could end up on chain. And I think it'd be pretty cool if they did. And I think that there's a lot of power you could get from that. You know, people talk a lot about the, you know, the sort of guarantees you have in terms of provability of what the programs are going to do, not having to worry about that. Um, in terms of censorship resistance, uh, but you also have composability. And, you know, one, one, one really sweet thing is if you're looking to build out a business, you know, some blockchain based business, and you get to a point, you're like, all right, and now we want to have people be able to trade assets. If this weren't on chain, you'd be like, well, shit, you know, now we have to go build an exchange and that's like a 10 year process. Um, or try and white label one and that, but that's not trivial either. In DeFi, you're just like, all right, let me look up the contract address for the most popular DEXs and then just have our GUI point to those. And so the instant composability of different protocols on blockchains gives you this potential for sort of exponential growth of ecosystems because everyone can seamlessly build on whatever else is built. The first time I heard Solana was maybe Multicoin and through you. What is it? Is it something that you had to have happen to make FTX get to the next level? Uh, what was it about Solana and how do you use it and how do you think about it at FTX? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is basically like, you know, what is it? It's a blockchain. It's a native chain. And Unlike almost every other chain, when it was built, the team thought extremely hard and carefully about how to maximize the throughput of the, the blockchain, about how to maximize the efficiency of it um, and how fast it was and how much it could handle. And because that is orders of magnitude bigger um, in capacity than any other chain is. And you know, right now, the world is trying to subsist on chains with 10 orders per second. And... I mean, any reasonably sized business is going to outtrip that really quickly. And that's supposed to be for the entire ecosystem put together. Solana's at 50,000 right now and has the ability to scale to millions. And so if you look at not what crypto is today, but what it could become and what DeFi could become, right? If you look at what's the huge upside potential here, um, you know, you're looking at ecosystems that are going to have to be scaling to the millions of transactions for a second, because that's what anything big has. Um, and you just need a a blockchain that can handle that. And right now, I mean, basically the only plausible answer there is Solana. And that's what I think is really exciting to me about it is that it gives the possibility for DeFi to scale up massively. It sort of unlocks that. Um, and it also makes transfers a lot quicker and cheaper because you're not trying to auction off 10 transactions a second with the demand for 10,000. And, you know, then, then they take forever and, and cost a fortune you know, there, there's sort of ample space for them. And so even right today, in terms of being able to move assets around the blockchain quickly and cheaply, it's just a lot more efficient. 
Are stocks too boring for you now? Um, well, fortunately, they're becoming cryptocurrency, so it's all good. You mean um, like GameStop? What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you see what happened there. And I think for people who had been in crypto for a while, you know, you sort of saw it and were like, all right, that is, that's a shit coin. We know what that is. We've seen that before. It's an NFT of a shit coin yeah. of a stock. Exactly. It was just like those happen every day in crypto. Um, but it was one of the first times we've seen them in stocks. But it's not the only case. And more and more, I think, I think Tesla acts similarly to Bitcoin in some ways, you know? And I, I think more and more, we see a lot of, you know, we see crypto starting to move more towards mainstream, but we also see, you know, mainstream starting to look a little bit more like crypto. Mm. Nikita, any quick question? No, you're right. Like, it seems like that volatility has been so inherent to crypto that it just seems like that we're so used to it and we need like bigger and bigger hits of it. Well, people just want crypto to be what they want it to be. Yeah. Whereas I just like volatility. I think it's a feature, not a bug. And Americans been <laughs> Americans have been sedated by VIX ten. Yeah. And I like VIX forty. Why does it have to everything have to be ten, right? Like you like the volatility, correct? I do. And what about you, Sam? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I think it's uh It's life. Yeah, it, 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 it's you know I mean part of this is, is yeah, it just makes things a lot more excited and part of this is you know, you can't have I mean, people people talk about the volatility as a downside, and it is sometimes. But people really like price appreciation and upside. You can't have huge price appreciation with no volatility. Like they 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 come part and parcel. And anything that has huge upside is going to have to have you know the potential for huge volatility. So you're saying you have diamond hands? I don't think he has oh, a little bit of everything. Not necessarily. <laughs> he has very but, soft hands, you know. Nikita. <laughs> he has subtle, supple, supple. supple. Yeah. Spell supple, Nikita, and we'll let you ask another question. The uh, get back to you're googling it. I'm googling it. So this crashed. I don't even want to get into the technicals of it. But um, what was exciting to you? Give me. I bought some Uniswap, and I bought some Ethereum, and I bought some Solana. What are the three things outside of Bitcoin that you were excited about during this crash here in May? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I actually like had some overlap there. I think all three of those were things I was looking at. Sushi Swap. Is another thing that has Fred likes sushi crash. swap. How is that different than Uniswap? I just can't believe it. And why can't there be a Howie swap? <laughs> right. Oh, there could. If you want one, you can make it. Yeah, that's right. You need to need it badly enough. Why sushi swap over Uniswap? Um, I mean, they're they're very similar. Like sushi swap was a, a fork on Uniswap originally. Got it. It's and you know they're similar as products. Uniswap is still the bigger one. Although sushi swap is you know not that far behind. Um, but I think the sushi swap product and team's a little bit more dynamic. There's been a lot more going on there behind the scenes, um, or at least a lot more visible. I think the Uniswap team is much more secretive, and so it's harder to know what's coming out from that angle. Hmm. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of features released, which have been pretty cool on sushi swap, a lot of collaborations with other things in DeFi. Um, and it's also just, you know, both in and Uniswap work, tokens that crashed an unusual amount, I think, especially around the bottom. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there are probably good buys down there. And what about gambling? So you can go DraftKings, Barstool, whatever. I don't use the apps. I like the people. Um, shouldn't I just be able to bet on FTX while, I, while I'm there? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, internationally, we've already started playing around with that. You know, we had a Super Bowl market. Um, we had the world's second most liquid Trump market, which is really fucking cool to see. Um, and is the ticker orange? <laughs> I, it should have been. No, it's it a fuck up. Trump 2020, but obviously that was a mistake in retrospect. 
So you see yourself getting into sports betting too? Yeah, it's something we're eyeing. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do well from a number of angles. Yeah, I think. the margins. The margins, the regulation, um, the products, the, the, the user base, the UI, all of those are things that we need to get right. And I think a lot of those are things that we are still working on. But it's absolutely something that we would like to be playing a big role in. And then what about, like, shouldn't I just be able to also just own an S? I mean, what is SPY? So why can't, if I'm using, right. S, if, why can't, if I'm using FTX and I don't want to get too technical dot you, you know, this is just for people to get to yeah. know Sam and my community and my network. Why can't I just, I mean, what is SPY in the end 500 stocks? So why can't I just buy a token that represents it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, again, outside the US, you can, um, you know, spy is one of the things you list on FTX along with Bitcoin. And, um, and I think it's a really good question. And, and I think that the answer we came to originally was there was no reason. There is no good reason you wouldn't be able to. And, and so we, we did it. We partnered with a, a regulated German entity with like a burger dealer license um, to offer these. And, you know, I, I think like what it gets to is a lot of the product that we built is fairly asset class agnostic. You can trade, uh, you know, what's the difference in a Bitcoin future, a spy future and a Trump future? Or a Rolex future. Or right. Anything totally. that has brand. Yeah, the only thing is just like what index does it expire to, you know? Well, and, Rolex would, uh, would would be to however Rolexes are in a vault. Well, if we so have yeah. Sushi Swap, I mean, I got that but wrong. But Sushi Swap is just a name, but it, it means the same as what a Uniswap was. That's just a naming thing. that they, It's kind of cool that they called it that. True, but we could have a Rolex swap. But Rolex really means against some asset right. somewhere. And you have to have them tokenized then on, on the chain. and. You know, I do think that's something that's going to happen. And as soon as you can tokenize something, then you can plug it into all of these different things. You know, as soon as something is on chain, um, you know, all of the exchanges can handle it natively. It's just the beginning. All right. Well, and so if people want to find you, it's Twitter. It's SMB Alameda, right? Or San, S- uh, SBF Alameda, yeah. SBF. And what SBF do you wear? 60 or 90? What does your mom think you should wear? No, it's SBF. Are you <laughs> a sunscreener right, or no sunscreen? Well, it's a trick question. I don't go outside, so it's oh. sort of moot. And uh, boxers or briefs? Uh, briefs. Uh, you manscape? I They're a sponsor. Uh, I'm an ambassador oh, of manscape. People don't uh, admit your it. Your guy's imagination. No, right. I don't. It's I literally am not going to use know. my imagination. It was just a yes or no question. Nikita <laughs> make, and Knut is imagining. Knut, concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a yes or no. Ethan, Manscaped? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, uh, the kids today. And then vanilla or chocolate? Both together. Oh, yeah. Definitely a mix. Combine yeah, them. I like the mix. Is there any questions you have for, for me? Because, you know, you must have a million questions. <laughs> oh, always. But I'm. Um, <laughs> You know, I I always have a lot of fun talking. What's like, what's the one product, you know, trading related product that you would really love to see somewhere that you either have never seen or you've seen, but not in a way you can really access? Like, what's what's the thing you really wish you had a good way to, to, to trade? Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is there's nothing scarier than almost being rich, or wealthy, right? Like, you know, when, when yeah. Mark Cuban, and this isn't a, a 1% or problem, but if you're so close to being 1% and I'm a sell early kind of guy, cause I'm raised by people that made me insane, but they will be on another episode. But no, if you're Mark Cuban, 
he took money off. He was scaredy cat enough and smart enough to say, eh, broadcast is probably not worth $5 billion. And he hedged, right? And they said he couldn't. Yep. So I, as someone who doesn't need to milk every nickel, feel that there's not liquidity where there should be liquidity, and that's the mix of private and public markets. So if you're almost liquid, like a Robinhood or eToro, and you're in, shouldn't yep. there be a way, and I've talked to Naval at AngelList about this, and shouldn't there be a way to, even if it's never going to be perfect, but to take some money off the table as a venture capitalist or as, you know, a much more liquid way around companies that are really public but not public to kind of hedge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's sort of this, this, this big deal that we make out of going public and it, it sort of makes so sense dumb. from some perspective, but it's also arbitrary. And it's, yep. there's a huge rigor moral that you go through to do it. And some of it makes sense, some of it's just historical. And a lot of it, frankly, is, you know, like, what do we call it to go public? We call it IPOing. But the weird thing is when you actually think about what you're doing, the IPO is not the important part of it, right? It's a part often people talk about a lot of time is spent on, but you know, what's your actual goal? Is your goal to get liquidity? Is your goal to get your name out there? You know, and, and, and we just have this sort of one size fits all approach to it. And that size is not. So that's the all. biggest opportunity to me. And again, I get this is me as a VC, not as some billionaire, but it's like, I give the yep. people what they want. So what they want is not Carta X. Now I'm not ripping on Carta and I, I, I definitely was stupid for passing at the seed deal. I don't want to go through Carta X. Shouldn't I just be able to go to Binance or FTX or Coinbase and yeah. say, I want out of this basket, I'll take 60 cents on the dollar and hit me Absolutely. if you want it. And that's, I think Absolutely. we can really get to the next level when we can give yeah. people to let them make decisions based on how do I feel about this? Absolutely. And we, we have started going there and yeah, that's what's exciting know, to me. Yeah. Like right now you can trade Robinhood stock on FTX and it hasn't listed publicly yet, but we've listed it. Yeah. And it's just the beginning. It's not super liquid right now. Um, and you know, it's, it takes a bit of work to convert your stock if you want to do it uh, to, to the tokenized version, but it's a start. And I think that like, you know, getting to a world where this just flows freely, I think it, there's a lot of cool things about it, right? You don't have to be beholden to, to NASDAQ. Um, it means you can trade it 24-7. You can collateralize it with whatever you have or use it to collateralize whatever you have. Hell, maybe you don't even want to trade your Robinhood stock, um, but you can convert your Robinhood stock, um, you know, to uh, get it on FTX and then use it as collateral to do your other trading without having to sell it. Um, where else are you? Are you guys hiring? Because like, it seems like I could have a job there. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Because <laughs> I'm unemployable until this podcast. The, uh, I feel like there's somebody that's listening to me. But I think, like like you said, and what I'm seeing with FTX, and I don't know who else is doing this, is like the gap. So when you're that close to going from private to public, yeah, you go and you know, or even if it drops 80%, I'm still going to be rich. But I'd like to say I'm, I'll take 70%. And get that divorce now. Wait, no. I mean, sorry. Did I say that out loud? No, I mean, get that watch or get that car or give some money to charity yep. or, you know, hire a nanny. The, uh, why yep. am I saying all the things that I want? The uh, <laughs> No, but like do those things that help you live a normal life and yep. let, leave some money on the table for someone else who's willing to take that risk. I think that last gap is a big one. And I think who closes that is going to be worth billions. And it's not sexy, but it's a small little gap that as soon as it gets filled will lead to a lot more happiness and uh, obviously volatility, which is great, and liquidity. 
I think we need more liquidity. Liquidity will create uh, stronger kind of global economies. So that's kind of how I feel about that. So hopefully that, yeah. uh, it sounds like you're thinking about the same stuff. I, I totally agree. And there's so much creativity left and so much room to innovate on the way these products work right now and the way they interact with each other. And, you know, frankly, it just sort of seems like a lot of this has been pretty stagnant. Stagnant and clunky. Like, Cardax is clunky. And I get why they're trying to yeah. do it. And I, God bless them. But, like, no, shouldn't have spent that much time coming up with something that only is going to appeal to a few companies. And uh, I'm, in, you know, my focus of social leverage is bridging that gap. And, you know, now that Robinhood exists and Alpaca exists to create a thousand Robinhoods and all these APIs like Plaid exist, it's like, okay, let's move on. Let's solve some real problems, which is, hey, man, I'm almost rich. I'd like to stay at Uber or whatever great company it is, but I'm going to have to hop because, you know, my stuff, I can't get out of my, you know, I'm not rich yet. And we got to solve that problem. Yep. Who do you look up to in the industry in crypto? Who do you, who are the people you like look to when you're nervous? I mean, you know, I think different people for different things. And I think, you know, there are some people who have done really amazingly. I mean, I, I think I look, uh, you know, obviously Binance has been growing extremely quickly. Um, you know, I look at Coinbase and what they managed to do, what they did well, what they focused less on and what it was that got where they were. But, you know, I think I, uh, I also look at, some of the people who, I, who I've met in this space and, um, and, and you know, are somewhat public on, on Twitter, at least. I, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to what TMS does, to what Multicoin does. Um, and there's sort of a group of VCs and traders and uh, entrepreneurs in the space who I really respect, um, but also who I, I've learned some things from. And I think, you know, seeing how they operate gave me some sort of information about how I could operate. And I think helped me realize some things that I didn't really realize um, until until I saw them do it. Amazing. Good answers. I appreciate your time, man. I'll let you get back to work. Uh, and hopefully I'll finally get to meet you soon, but it's fun to be Zooming with you and chatting with you. Absolutely. All right. Be well. You too. Cheers. There we go. Sam, 28. Well, 29. Wow. These kids today, people make fun of the youth, but uh, they're out there doing shit. Yeah. And uh, solving some liquidity is a big issue. <laughs> so I uh, hope you enjoyed that, everybody. It's uh, Panic with Friends. Uh, we sit and chat weekly with uh, great founders, traders, investors, uh, trying to just figure out the markets. That was Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, founder of FTX.com, FTX.us, Alameda. Try it out. Try out the products. It's amazing. And uh, thanks, Canute. Thanks, Nikita. You can find the podcast on uh, Spotify or Apple or Google or your favorite podcast app. Search my name or Panic with Friends and subscribe and you will get the uh, podcast weekly. Talk to everybody soon. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or Stock Twits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.